What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi everybody, welcome to the show. Today we'll be looking at Hellraiser 6, Hellseeker, and how Kirsty seems to be running the place. In Hellraiser 6, Hellseeker, Trevor Gooden finds himself in a spooky situation. He's married to Kirsty Cotton, our final girl from the first two Hellraiser installments, but that hasn't stopped him from having relationships with more than one other woman. And his duplicity doesn't end there, he's also working with his friend Brett to eliminate Kirsty and take her inheritance. We don't know this at first, of course, and we sympathize with him as supernatural, cenobitey things start happening to him. His wife is missing, after all after a car accident dumped them both in the river, and his girlfriends seemed to be turning up dead one after another, and then not being dead, and then being with other men and not really seeming to know who Trevor is, and he's hallucinating at least one of the people he's talking to, and blood, so much blood, and literally nothing makes sense. As we get to know him, though, we realize that Trevor has made so many of his own problems that he's not really a good guy and that he's trying to kill his wife for monetary gain. Not just any wife, either. It's Kirsty, who we know and love, who's already been through so much, and now has to be married to a philandering, murderous dirtbag. Not even halfway through the movie, we've stopped being on his side, and when we see in flashbacks that he in fact gave Kirsty the lament configuration, the all-too-recognizable Hellraiser puzzle box, in hopes that Pinhead would kill her for him, we turn completely against poor Trevor, and wait eagerly for the Cenobites to take him down. But there are more revelations than just our glimpses into Trevor's cruel and narcissistic behavior. We also learn a little something about Kirsty. Pinhead points out to her in earlier installments that, for someone who didn't want to open the box, he and she sure managed to bump into each other a lot. In Hellraiser 2, he suggests that Kirsty is so eager to play, so reluctant to admit it. The audience no doubt understands why Kirsty would feel that way. After all, we're watching horror precisely because we want to go to the borders of experience, without actually going to the borders of experience. We want to, quote, play, but we don't actually want to. We want to play vicariously and then shut the movie off and go back to our ordinary world. We totally get why Kirsty might be intrigued and even curious, but at the same time not want in any way to get involved or have any experiences or traipse off to hell with her pushy demon friend. Being curious about something doesn't make Kirsty or any of us bad people. 
it doesn't make us masochistic or freaky or evil. So even though we may agree with Pinhead that Kirsty certainly does seem curious, we don't want him to take her to hell, or for her to suffer for eternity just because her stupid horrid husband set her up. So we watch expectantly, wondering how Kirsty is going to get out of it this time. Pinhead tells her, I will not rest until I get what I want, and what I want is you. Isn't that romantic? You know, in a certain light. Anyway, Kirsty really doesn't want to go to hell. She also really doesn't want to be married to or hurt by Trevor Gooden anymore. Who would? What a jerk. At least Pinhead's up front about his intentions and weirdly never lies to her. I'm sorry, Trevor, but you do in fact compare unfavorably to an actual demon who tacks people's body parts to a post for fun. And where did Trevor's poor behavior get him? Well, Kirsty, as has always been her way, offers a bargain to Pinhead. But she doesn't just offer up her wicked Uncle Frank like she does in the first film. No, she goes all in. I will bring you five souls in exchange for mine. That is a tempting offer for a demon, but he wants to know if she'll bring these five souls to him herself. She assures him that he'll get his five souls. Pinhead explains all this to poor Trevor. He's reached the end of his little rope with all the strange things happening around him, and Pinhead decides it's time to spring the trap and tell him the truth. He tells Trevor that he was impressed with Kirsty's handiwork. We learn at the same time Trevor learns that Kirsty didn't just pull the number five out of her butt. She had specific people in mind. Trevor's three girlfriends, his friend with whom he conspired to kill Kirsty, and of course Trevor himself. We learn that Kirsty didn't pull any punches holding up her end of the bargain. She dispatched all five of them herself, and then she framed Trevor for the murders. Trevor discovers that he's already dead, that everything he's been going through is part of his interactive hell experience, and that the car accident that dumped him and Kirsty in the river didn't leave her missing. She caused the accident when she shot Trevor in the head. Are we sad about that? Not really. We're horror movie fans, and we expected horror movie type stuff. We also like Kirsty and don't particularly like Trevor. We don't know a lot about Trevor's girlfriends, and we might wonder if sleeping with a married man is punishable by death. But in a horror movie, it certainly can be. Play stupid games, win Cenobite prizes. We're not sad about Kirsty giving Pinhead the five souls, but I think we do have to ask ourselves, is Kirsty the good guy? Has she ever been the good guy? I think anyone in her position would not want to go to hell. I think a lot of us would be willing to do some extreme things to avoid that fate if Pinhead showed up on our doorstep. But even though Trevor gifted Kirsty the puzzle box in order to get her killed, she opens it of her own accord and offers Pinhead the five souls as though she had been waiting to do so. Basically, Pinhead was right. She's eager to play, but reluctant to admit it. When she gives up Uncle Frank in the first movie, it's to save her life, and Frank was indeed already condemned to his hell. She wasn't really hurting anyone who hadn't already chosen his own fate. When she wriggles away at the end of the second movie, it's not just to save her own life, but also the life of an innocent girl who had been tricked into solving the puzzle box. But everything Kirsty does in Hellseeker is deliberate and vengeful. 
She chooses her victims based solely on whether or not they've hurt her, and she gets rid of them all herself. In the first film, she makes do with ratting out Uncle Frank, but in Hellseeker, she personally creates five corpses and leaves them at Pinhead's feet. Seeing what Kirsty is capable of calls her earlier decisions into question. Sure, Uncle Frank is a murderous jerk who voluntarily opened the box, but he's still a human being, and he is technically her family. Kirsty does help the innocent girl, but the innocent girl was never in any particular danger. When she's tricked into solving the puzzle box, Pinhead tells the other Cenobites not to hurt her, because it's not hands that call them, but desire. Apparently even demons are... fair. So Kirsty saving the innocent girl doesn't necessarily mean that she's any better a person than Pinhead is. Of course, it doesn't mean she's not a good person, and in the first Hellraiser she was indeed blameless and had not consciously opened the box. But her actions in Hellseeker are so calculated and so mercenary that if she was innocent in the beginning, she certainly isn't any more. The Hellraiser movies have a consistent theme, that the box wants to open, and that the people who open it are drawn to it. Maybe they aren't evil, but on some level they wanted to open the box, because they were curious about the darkness it contains. They were curious about the darkness they contain. Some of them draw back in fear, and decide that they would rather not explore their darkness. Others embrace it, and are puzzled as to why they ever hesitated. The first time, Kirsty convinced the Cenobites that she didn't mean to open the box, and we believed her, because we saw how surprised she was by the box, and how much she hadn't sought it out or even known what it was. But this time she certainly did know. It's the third time she's interacted with the box and with Pinhead. She doesn't even pretend she didn't open the box. She offers the bargain unprompted, as though she had opened the box specifically to make the offer as though she had arranged for Pinhead to threaten her with hell so that she could justify killing five people. Did she have that kind of darkness in the first movie, or the second? Maybe. Or maybe interacting with the box and being threatened with an eternity of torture just brings out the darkness in a person. But there's a difference between pushing the boundaries of pleasure and pain and premeditated revenge-fueled murder. At the end of the film, the detective who's fished Trevor's body out of the water and fallen for Kirsty's frame job brings her the puzzle box. She explains that it had been a gift, so the detective gives it to her instead of logging it as evidence. Kirsty doesn't really want the box, but if she refuses it, it might seem suspicious, so she takes it and walks away. After spending so much time running from the box, after so much effort spent persuading the Cenobites to let her go, she voluntarily keeps the box in her hands. Pinhead told her that he wouldn't rest until he had her, but for some reason he accepts her bargain. Is that not him resting? Is that not him realizing that he does indeed have her? He watches her kill five people and is impressed with her handiwork. Is this not him recognizing that unlike Uncle Frank, who sought out experiences, Kirsty is someone who gives experiences to others. She's not someone whose body parts are going to be tacked to a post. She's someone who makes bargains. She's clever and resourceful. She gets away. Or does she?
Pinhead sounds like a pretty smart guy. He's also someone with extraordinary supernatural abilities and the full power of hell behind him. He's turned people into mutilated skin sculptures just by looking at them. He could do anything he wanted to her. But he chooses to make deals with her. He chooses to let her go. Why would he do that? Because he knew he wasn't really letting her go. He knows she's a kindred spirit, that in the end she's just like him. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.